You need a phone system for your practice, but most of the options out there are just going to leave you breaking all sorts of HIPAA regulations, most of which you might not even know about. So whether you're communicating with your clients or about your clients internally between your team members, you need to make sure that your client's information is completely secured. So meet Spruce, a HIPAA-compliant communication system that offers secure client calling, messaging, telemedicine, and even team chat. Spruce even signs business associate agreements at no extra charge for you. Spruce is completely dedicated to one thing, making sure that you, your team, and your clients are completely covered. Spruce is a fantastic alternative, a fantastic option for your phone system. And I highly, highly recommend uh, getting in touch and seeing if this is the product for you. Get 20% off your first year of Spruce using the link sprucehealth.com forward slash PPW. Again, that's sprucehealth.com forward slash PPW. All right, we've got a great show for you today. Let's dive in. All right, Tiffany McLean, welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you, and um, how's it going today? It is going fantastic. I am super honored to be here, and I'm excited for our conversation. I listened to some of the other conversations, and I'm like, oh, I like this guy. Oh, good. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk with you. <laughs> That's a good start. Well, I've been, I've been you know, admiring you from afar, if I can, if I can say that. <laughs> you can say that. And uh, first of all, you have an unforgettable... Um, website name and business name hey tiffany which i purposefully didn't start this conversation by saying hey tiffany <laughs> even though maybe you i should be have the first yeah, yeah i know it'd be really good for your brand wouldn't it i guess it would have Jeez, john come on yeah we can i'll, I'll probably say it at some point during this interview <laughs> hey tiffany.com hey yo yeah that's the end of the that's the end of the episode actually we're gonna just wrap it up right there beautiful done and done <laughs> Short and sweet. So um, you're out on the West Coast. You're out in my old stomping grounds in San Francisco. We were just talking before the show. Um, how's the weather out there right now? Oh, no. I was also saying you asked me where I was from, and I said I'm from Seattle. And I actually moved away from Seattle. One of the reasons is because I don't like the fog. And then I <laughs> where my office is in San Francisco, it's constantly just gloomy and foggy. So that is what it is today. Gray, gray, gray. So I follow Carl the Fog on Instagram. That's how I keep in touch with him. Can can you tell our audience what who Carl is? So here's the fact of the matter. I think I first heard Carl the Fog. I don't know if it was from you, but literally within the past two days, I heard that referred to for the first time ever. Really? And I had never heard it before that. So you have to tell me what that is. Because I was like, what's this fucking Carl the Fog about? Okay, well... <laughs> He's elusive, but you should get to know him. Um, I don't know when this, I don't know, it was pretty soon when I moved to the Bay Area that someone just in conversation, I was talking about the fog that rolls in, because the fog that rolls in over San Francisco, uh, especially like over Twin Peaks, is so dramatic and such a like thick fog that can just literally you can just watch it swarm across twin peaks and cover those those hills and then it can be gone you know 30 seconds later it's just this heavy dense fog and someone decided to give it a name and a persona and call it carl i think it's with a, with a k carl with a k and he just rolls in whenever the hell he wants and then he rolls out and it's more fun if you give him a persona but of course 
San Francisco's San Francisco summers are um, kind of the worst. Yeah, kind of not what people think when they think about San Francisco. I totally agree. I I don't know that Carl is an adequate name for that that experience of the fog. It feels like it needs to be something heavier and more crushing, (laughs) but I guess we'll go with Carl for now. Maybe that makes it a little happier. Not so depressing. My theory is that your body can never truly adjust in San Francisco because you'll be sitting in Dolores Park on a warm, sunny day and rocking like a tank top and shorts and feeling pretty good. And then 32 minutes later, you're like, holy shit, I'm going to die. I'm going to freeze. I'm, this is the worst. It makes for a good, you, you could be a good therapist though, because you have to learn how to roll with the punches and survive, survive all of these terrible states. <laughs> I've never thought of it that way. Oh, look how we're talking about the weather already. Yeah. <laughs> it's more than when you're a therapist, it's more than just the weather. It, it's a metaphor. It's that's exactly right. It's a person. About the unconscious process right here. Yeah. Yeah. We have to go deep with everything. <laughs> I like that. I like that. <laughs> Tiffany, tell tell our audience kind of who you are and what you're all about. Because I, I have an idea, and I've been kind of checking out what you do, and heard some heard some cool things about you. But but let's let's hear it from you. From me. So, so this is always hard because I'm like, how do I talk about myself? But that's what this whole show is about, I guess. Uh, my name is Tiffany. I have a website called HeyTiffany.com, which you mentioned in the beginning. Um, by not saying, hey, Tiffany. And uh, with that website, I I teach therapists how to market their practices. And I have a specific focus around money mindset, how to actually set your fees, how to get comfortable charging for this work we're doing, which is helping people. So that's my primary focus. And then I also have a my own private practice here in San Francisco, where I work with um, my specialty or my niche is underrepresented people in tech. So people of color, women, uh, people who are upwardly mobile. So both both with my private practice and with HeyTiffany.com, my passion, the people I'm so excited to work with, the people I attract are folks who are either first generation college students, or maybe they were from blue collar families. And now they're attempting to live this, um, you know, having your own business, entrepreneurial lifestyle, trying to get financial security that they maybe didn't have when they were growing up. So those are my people, both in private practice and with HeyTiffany.com. So we talk a lot about niching and sometimes we, I think we get sick of talking about niching and people fear niching down too much, right? Like if I really get narrow with it, then no one's going to want to come see me, right? Um, You got pretty narrow and I'm just going to guess that you, that it hasn't been a problem for you to to be that narrow. It has not been a problem at all. It's actually been the thing that's allowed me to be successful. So both in my private practice, I did it first there. Um, and then I learned from that, like, oh my gosh, this this having a niche, I don't know, niche or niche, having that thing, a specialty is really impactful. I was able to raise my fees very high, um, even for this uh, Bay Area fees are already high. And then for me also being just starting out, I was like, I know I need to charge a decent amount of money because I live in San Francisco. How am I going to do that? And through discovering a niche and really being thoughtful about that, I was able to do really well. And I said, okay, I got to teach some folks this stuff. So you, you developed a niche also that is really pretty specific to your area being in San Francisco and Silicon Valley and all these tech companies there. Um, you, yeah, you, you you selected that pretty pretty thoughtfully. It sounds like 
Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we will talk about this a little bit later, but, you know, I, 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 like you said, a lot of therapists are worried about having a niche because they're like, oh, I'm going to only have to work with one kind of person or, you know, oh, I won't have variety anymore. First of all, both of those things are not true. Sure. And, you know, two things when I was thinking about, okay, if I ha- have a niche, if I really do this thing, what am I going to think about? What am I going to focus on? And two factors that I tell my therapists you got to pay attention to when you're uh, having a niche is one, finding people who are eager and willing to pay you. Um, they have the financial resources to do so, and they want to come to therapy. So not folks who you have to convince. So those were two things I was keeping in mind when I was thinking about, okay, who do I want to see in my private practice? And how can I mirror those two things with the population that I love to serve, which are upwardly mobile people? So I thought, all right, in tech, that's where there are going to be upwardly mobile people for sure. I know that they're going to be there. So it was a way to take the people I already wanted to work with and it I'm passionate about working with and finding a place where they're all hanging out, which is in the tech industry and people of color or marginalized groups for sure. So I kind of want to talk about this for a second because I feel like even though it's not related to private practitioners necessarily, but I spent, you know, I grew my first practice there in San Francisco and worked with a ton of folks in tech and actually worked with a a lot of software engineers with social anxiety and stuff like that. That Uh. became a focus for me just naturally. But um, and I know this from living there, from my partner working in tech, but, um, talk to us for a second about, um, about underrepresented groups in tech companies, because I think that's something a lot of therapists probably don't even know about or know that that's a thing, but it's really important. And I want, I want you to be able to highlight that. That is interesting. Um, I don't actually say, I'm like, Oh, I don't, I haven't been writing too much about this recently. <laughs> so in it, it's, um, I'm also thinking about, you know, this recent, if we're going to get into politics, I'm thinking about the recent um, potential um, doing away with the affirmative action laws, you know, things like that. So there's still a lot of questions around um, how much do we have to help folks who are from marginalized backgrounds uh, make it up, you know, moving on up in the world. What is that? What is that? Um, Moving on up to the east side, whatever that song is, (laughs) the Jeffersons, I think. You know, so for... People in tech, and this is also, um, you know, I'm biracial, so my dad's black, my mom's right, white, so that informs a lot of my upbringing. And also, you know, we didn't come from, my, my dad grew up in, in the projects, what were at the time the worst projects in Chicago. My mom grew up on a farm in Oregon. So also, I also know what it means to um, not have a lot of money or to not be, a, you know, to be the first person who, and my brother too to go to college. Um, so there are a lot of things that are hard about upward mobility that people who are born with a lot of access don't ever think about. Um, uh, things that you just take for granted that people who are upwardly mobile don't. So in the tech industry, for people of color, um, and not across the board, you know, they're all kinds of class and education levels, of course, but um, there's something about being in an, in an environment for the first time where money is just flowing. You're surrounded by people who grew up in private schools and lots of education and lots of resources. And it brings up a lot of things for these folks around um, imposter syndrome. Uh, should I actually be here? Did I get yeah. here on my own merit? Am I qualified to actually succeed in this place? So those kinds of things. And then there's also some cultural things around um, the th- if let's say you're the only let's say you're the only black woman on a team of a whole bunch of white folks or white men to be more specific. Um, if something happens like a- another shooting, 
of a black man, you're having this traumatic experience and then you go to work and everybody's talking about, you know, Game of Thrones, which I happen to love. Everybody's talking <laughs> about Game of Thrones and no one's acknowledging this huge thing that's traumatic to you and the people you spend time with or, you know, really has an impact on, on you and your people. And then you go to this place and it's like, it doesn't exist. So there's all these ways that traumatic, re- uh, traumatic things happen or they get reenacted in these environments. So, uh, you know, sure. I work with folks around processing these things, noticing that these things really are happening and finding ways to take care of oneself in these environments. So the reality is a lot of larger tech companies like Facebook and Google um, only in the past couple of years have actually kind of looked at themselves and realized um, that underrepresented groups are really not, not, uh, not here in our companies or advancing or are in leadership, right? Or even, um, even the same thing with women or women who are software engineers or women in executive leadership in tech. It's really, it's a real problem. Absolutely. that yeah and if you're in the bay area long enough you'll start to kind of understand this problem and it's a social um yeah it's really a social justice issue which we as therapists should know plenty about um so it's kind of a neat world to it's it's kind of neat to be in both worlds and, and knowing having this hand in tech but also um having the social justice kind of mindset and, and helping your clients navigate these challenges that's right i think a lot you know especially when we think about charging or marketing the kind of people we want to work with, a lot of therapists, actually, we do splitting ourselves or take up a binary mindset. Like, I don't want to work with people who can afford to pay a lot of money because I want to help those who need it. And it's like, this tech is a place where people do actually need it. People have access to to money, but it's also doing something for social justice to be able to help these folks navigate this experience. So they don't actually have to be uh, opposed to each other, making money, doing well, and really giving back and making a difference. Sure. Yeah, we we could talk about this for hours and maybe we'll have to at some point soon. Um, But I wanted to give people a glimpse into kind of why your niche is so important and so salient in the Bay Area. Um, It's it's important work that you're doing. You have um, become known for money mindset uh, among consultants. What is that? Uh, Money mindset. (laughs) Um, That's a good question. So, you know, well, money mindset broadly is just how we think about money. Right. It's just um, um, the the kind of thought process, the projections, the the feelings we have when it comes to thinking about uh, money and what it means. So a lot of people, therapists included, um, folks treat their feelings about money as a fact. Like they have the idea of, oh, if I make too much, I'm greedy or, you know, people with money are bad. I touched on that a little bit earlier. Or if I raise my fees, I'm hurting my clients. And so even though we, we as therapists, we work with our own clients around this, when it comes to money, so many of us uh, hold on to these things as if they are a fact. And so a lot of the work I do, a lot of the money mindset work I do is around separating those things. Like those beliefs or those feelings are not actually facts yeah um wow. and they and to treat them as facts or to take action based on these fears we have actually hurts their business and and this is not popular and maybe people don't want to hear this part go for it um <laughs> it's uh, therapists who don't actually um recognize the distinction between their feelings and facts they actually are not as clinically adept as therapists who are willing to lean in and examine their countertransference to money i don't doubt that um and actually i have a, a similar kind of view of um, what we call self-care, which that, that word, yes. that hyphenated word has kind of, 
I'm kind of averse to it now because we overuse it so much and it's like, no, dude, just drink a green juice and do a hot yoga and you won't take your client's problems home. I think so much of that is psychological and what you believe in terms of like what you're responsible for of the client's life and their problems and quote unquote taking their money, which I hear a lot. Um, And so I really look at self-care as the way we think about our clients. Um, so it sounds like you take a similar approach in helping therapists think differently about money and about um, and about charging a fee for their services. Where do you think this stuff kind of stems from? For or where, where does it start that therapists get this idea of either I shouldn't charge much, or you know I can say in, in my experience, one of the first things I heard in graduate school, um, they had this panel of like people who've been working in the field for a while and it was like a dude who worked in a jail and someone with like mm. a, a dying private practice <laughs> and this really <laughs> sad group of counselors. And one of the first things they told us in our first week of school, they're like, you can't help people and make money. So if you're here to do those things, like you should be, you should go into pre-med or you should do something else. And I was like, that can't be true. Right. So for me, I know exactly that's where it started. And then it was this whole like therapists are nice people. We've got to just be nice and people take advantage of that niceness. But I don't know, I'm rambling, but where does it, where do you Uh, think it it starts for a lot of people? Well, first of all, my heart is just crushed at that experience you describe. And and I've heard that and so many people I have talked to heard, heard, have heard that. So there's this culture that is passed on, you know, passed down from our seasoned clinicians of you, you can't both make money or you're not going to be successful. Or you can't, you know, make a good living as a therapist. And that just, ooh, that's perpetuating this myth about the split between um, helping people and making money. So you're right on that that is a cultural thing within our profession. Um, and also this thing around I don't know who told me this, but someone once said to me, you know, beware the nice therapist. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right on. So this idea of I'm nice if I'm giving, you know, someone a sliding scale or, you know, letting them not pay for a missed session. That's a nice thing to do. Um, As therapists, we need to be able to own our aggression, own our needs like you're talking about and help our clients to do the same. So if we're not able to do that for ourselves, we're actually missing a huge part of what we're actually being hired to help our own clients with. Absolutely. So. Man, what is the first step in helping therapists to think differently about money? Oh, man. Um, I, I would say this is, I wrote actually one of my first articles, and it was, it's, was then and has been my most popular article to this day, um, uh, The 10 Myths About Setting Your Fee in Private Practice, it's called. Um, in that, I talk about the very first thing and almost all of the 10 myths I talk about um, to get in line or to kind of start getting your money mindset right is to yeah, understand the reality of your financial situation. So actually, you have to know how much you need to bring in. And that is an honest assessment that includes paying back your student loans, uh, saving for your own retirement, doing things that you're talking about. You know, this I also am like ah, self care. But really, that means things like going on vacation, getting massages, doing the things you have to do. So you can show up and sit across from your client and really do your best work. So you actually have to get real about how much money you need to bring in in order to do that. I have a um, on my website, if you go and sign up, you can get that fun with fees worksheet, fill it out and start getting a sense of like how much do you actually need to bring in to have a viable business and a viable personal life cool. so that you can come and do your best work. So <clears throat> yeah, there's a lot of different ways of setting your fees, but um, the one that you're talking about is basically working backward, right? And I, I talk about oh, this method as well. And I think it's great. <laughs> it's a great way to, to do it and an uncomfortable one for therapists to go, um, I want to make 
150 grand with a big question mark uh-huh, <laughs> and then uh-huh. let's work back from that or i want to see 10 clients a week question yes. mark like is that possible and yes. but but walk us through a little more with a little more detail how you how you help therapists through that process yeah i really like this thing you said where where therapists are anxious to actually like lay out the numbers or decide what do I want? What kind of lifestyle do I need to have to show up and do my best work? And then they do it with a question mark or like, is that actually possible for someone like me? Right. That's kind of the thing. And so that actually goes right in line back to an earlier question you had around, you know, where does this come from with therapists? Why are we, why do we have so much anxiety around money stuff? I actually think like tech, um, that a lot of people who become therapists also come, they're upwardly mobile either financially or psychically. So a lot of us come from families where our psychic experience wasn't recognized so we've had a lot of trauma or damage around that where there really was an experience of being hurt by someone else's actions um so a lot of us take those feelings and transfer them onto money and start thinking about um, the ways we've been hurt and, and then we don't want to perpetuate that with our clients and it gets all mixed up with money stuff so stepping back into your question um mm. Number one, just the things you're talking about. I, I can tell you're a very good consultant. Um, finding out how much you need to live financially and then also how much time do you want to spend doing yeah. this work? How much can you actually spend? You know, so I've talked to therapists, I'm afraid to say, who have told me they have, you know, 38 client hours a week. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, That's how amazing. can you have, right? You, how can yeah, you how can you do good work? work? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So both, both getting aware of uh, money and time. And we're going to get deep for a second. Um, both money and time are representations of the limitations of reality and ultimately death. So I think that's why a lot of therapists too get mm. um, uh, and, and client people in the world get tied up around this because money is limited. It's finite. Time is finite. Okay. And to really yeah. sit down and get a sense of that means you have to get in touch with your own mortality. And who wants to do that? So, um, you know, yeah, not me. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. No, I think we have to. And Man, you're throwing down a lot of good stuff right now. Um, I'm trying to keep up. <laughs> I'll slow down. Um, I'll slow down. I, you're just excited. I love it. I mean, <laughs> that and you like. There's this whole tech mentality of like move fast and at Facebook. Like at Facebook, they say like move fast and break break things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to break. Yeah, you don't want to break things. things. Yeah, you have to get broken, John. Yeah, <laughs> it's the it's like the um, the the southern roots in me wanting to just go slow and be like, now hold on a minute. I like, but I also (laughs) like, let's just talk through that. Um, yeah, yeah, we have a finite amount of time, right? There's, I started thinking about this at one point when people are like, you know, thank you for your time. And if you really slow down and you're like, okay, what is my time worth? Just like choosing to spend your time with people in your life who fill you up, who are good for you. That is time that you will never, ever get back. Just like you and I spending this hour, you know, this morning and, and, and just like committing to this hour and being like, yeah, Tiffany's a good person to spend this time with. Um, it's the same in private practice, right? If you're seeing 38 clients of people that you really are not jazzed about seeing, or you're not doing good work with, right. Or you start to resent, you're not getting that time back. And that resentment has to kind of go somewhere. The, to me, the whole point of private practice is to own your time and kind of own your life. Otherwise, yeah, just work for an agency, right? And make That's make right. a salary and get your benefits and do that whole thing and just know what you're getting, right? But so many therapists end up basically creating an agency for themselves um, and, and seeing 38 clients a week. And yes. that's just, and then they, and then they end up 
you know, that it goes back to the fee, right? Because then they say, well, so why are you seeing 38 clients? Well, because I have to make X amount of dollars, right? And I'm only charging 95 or mm-hmm. 75 bucks, or I have these clients who are, I don't know, who are on Cigna and their reimbursement's only yes. 60 or whatever it is, and they just rationalize themselves into it. And then they, they avoid taking action out of fear, right? Like, yeah. well, I don't want to get off that panel because I know my one client really needs it or they would be mad or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. There's just all these fears we get stuck in of like, I'm here and I'm just too scared to move. Like, I don't want, I want to take the wrong step. That's, that is right. You're, those kind of feelings are, are no place from which to run a business. And yet so yeah. many therapists run their businesses from that place. Why is that? Why, why us and not a dentist or an optometrist <laughs> or your hairdresser? Like, why us? Well, you know, we enter this field because we really do want to help people. That's that's what we do it for. And so, um, you know, it's – I recently – so I have a, a series called Ask Tiffany, and I'm currently doing a series on money right now. And someone wrote in and said, you know, um, how do I deal with the guilt of saying no to someone who needs or wants a sliding scale? And for me um, – or how do I how do I stick to my full fee without feeling guilt? Um in fact, that's even what my opt-in is on my website. And the fact of the matter is, um, it's painful. So when I think about the people out there who I want to be serving, who I don't yet have the capacity, either financially or time-wise, to help yet, sure. um, it, it's it, it's heartbreaking, actually. Um, but to be able to have my heart broken and keep doing the thing in the short term um, so that I can be playing the long game, like I have designs on making a huge difference, making a huge impact. But to do that in a reality-based way means that I have to um, say no to helping those folks now so that I can build up the um, capacity, the income to be able to do something bigger down the road. And I think a lot of people play the short game out of guilt or anxiety, and they actually end up making a smaller impact because they're not willing to tolerate uh, feelings like guilt or shame or, or disappointing themselves or other people. There's this constant fear of like pissing your clients off. <laughs> like they're going to revolt and turn against you and they're all going to band together and I don't know, <laughs> come knock, knock down your door. Um. <laughs> yeah. I, in my, in my course, you know, I work with therapists around this, like the fear is if I raise their fee, they're going to be angry. And I'm like, yes, awesome. Like that's <laughs> allowing our clients to be angry with us is giving them a gift that maybe their parents avoided or the pe- everyone in their life is tiptoeing or walking on eggshells so they're not angry. What a gift to actually um, um, do something that you have to do for your own business that also may evoke anger and then to be there with them in a kind, loving, non-resentful way to help them work through what it means to be angry at someone you also love. That is what we're supposed to do as therapists. So this is why I say folks who are willing to lean into their money stuff and take care of themselves are also learning how to show up for their clients in a way that other clinicians cannot do. Wow. Absolutely. Um, man, my, well, my head is spinning. I have a lot of (laughs) questions and a lot of thoughts. Um, so I, 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 a lot of folks that I consult with and when we talk through their fees and I encourage them to raise their fees or at least raise them for, for the new clients coming in or whatever it is, or raise it $10. Um, 
there are a lot of therapists who have, um, again, going back to this kind of social justice background mm-hmm. or the social work background, whatever it is. And I, I have that too, because I came from agency work. I worked in nonprofits yeah. in San Francisco for many years, worked in the jails. We both worked in Seneca, actually. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, not yeah. that crazy. It's a huge company, but you get it, right? Because you, yeah, you know, right. I, I went through this process of doing that work from nine to five and starting to grow a practice and seeing the rich tech workers in the evenings and going, yeah. what the hell am I doing, right? These people, like, you know, 200 bucks is, is nothing to them. And that right. would go so far from my, my clients in Bayview Hunters Point or whatever yeah. it was. And you have to reconcile with that at some point, right? And you have to make sense of it for yourself. And you do have to, to stay true to your values. If a lot of therapists get hung up on, well, you know, I want to offer these really low fees or take all these insurance companies so that I can see those clients. And I get that and I honor that. And, but what I found is that the longer I was in practice and the more I raised my fees for the people who could pay those full fees, I actually had more flexibility in terms of how I could slide. And I would see right. even former Seneca clients would come see me in wow. private practice in my nice uh, office in Pacific Heights wow. and, um, and pay wow. what they could, right? And I could still do that yeah. work. But the only reason I could do it is because I was hitting my bottom line and taking care of myself with the rest of my fees, right? So it actually gave yeah. me more more power to, to work exactly how I wanted to work um, rather than the other way around. I love that. So one of the things that brings to my mind is when you were talking about, you know, if you're going to be seeing 38 people at, you know, $60 an hour, you might as well go work at an agency. So the reason a lot of us left agencies is because we saw that they didn't have the resources. um, And we as their staff didn't have the resources to do our best clinical work. We didn't get training. And so those clients at those agencies kind of got bottom of the barrel service. And so it's a terrible thing to then go into a private practice and then repeat that like the 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 most marginalized in our society are the ones who get the shoddiest work and so this example you're giving is actually by taking care of yourself you were able to then be able to actually give really high quality therapy to people who could not actually have it as opposed to reenacting with them in a private practice setting you guys get the shittiest yep absolutely Tiffany, what else do therapists need to know about money mindset and where do they get stuck? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things. So, you know, um, getting real about your financial situation, knowing how much you need to bring in, that's number one. Um, I also think it's incredibly important to find a community of successful therapists who also, and this is important, um, share similar values to you. So if you, you're someone with a social justice value, which I think most of us are, find other therapists who have those values who also are charging much more or, or, or more than you can even imagine in their private practices. So you can stop the splitting of like, oh, bad people charge a lot of money and good people don't to actually mm. see people who have really deep values and have a lot of compassion and are charging a lot of money and finding ways to give back outside of that. Um, I think that makes a huge difference for therapists. A lot of therapists worry about what their colleagues are going to say, or like they worry about being judged for being greedy from their colleagues. So you got to find people who are on your side, who encourage you to take care of yourself um, in ways that you're not doing currently. And and avoid those people on those panels, like you're talking about earlier, who tell you that you can't help people and make money at the same time. Stay away from those folks. Find other people to model yourself after. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Tiffany, what, what would you say? Um, so part of, you know, part of what we, what I do in this podcast is I, I, I draw out a lot of information from people like you, and then we really try to boil it down at the end. Cause there's a tendency to get overwhelmed 
in, yeah, in private yeah. practice and to, yeah. to, to uh, you know, I'm sitting here talking with you and I've got all these ideas rushing through my head and all this stuff I need to do. Maybe I need to raise my rates. Maybe I need to, mm. you know, figure out more about what this money mindset thing is. Like, um, people can walk away sometimes, I think, feeling more overwhelmed and then they don't take any action. Yes, and that's, yeah. that's kind of the worst case scenario, right? Is yeah. that you, you just feel really behind and you do nothing or you just feel worse about, mm-hmm. about yourself or your practice. So really boil it down for us here and like what, what do you want people to take away today and what are maybe a couple things that they could even do today if you want them to take a couple notes now and figure out, all right, what am I going to do as a result of listening to, to Tiffany today? Sure. I would say the first thing is to um, cut yourself some slack. A lot of therapists feel guilty or ashamed when they hear people talking about this or they hear a conversation like this between us. Um, They may feel like, oh, I'm bad or this is something I should be doing. I'm not. First of all, cut yourself some slack. We're not taught this stuff in school. Um, uh, Nobody's around us is talking about it. So it makes sense that you're confused or maybe have some conflicted feelings about this. You're in the right place. That would be my first thing. the second thing, do go go to my website and download that fun with fees worksheet, and I'll walk you through really clearly step by step in a fun and goofy way too, um, through how to start thinking about what you actually need to charge. Um, the two more things I would say. One and a, another one that folks may not like. Um, I encourage therapists to pay their own therapists their full fee. I think that's an actionable way to start dealing with and thinking about and working with your own money conflicts with your own therapist. So go in and say, look, I want to work towards paying you your full fee. How can we make that happen? That's really If you don't already. Yeah, yeah for like sure. <laughs> uh, and, then the, and then the final one, I would say, um, start investing your money. So, you know, work on giving like to your therapist or, you know, a consultant, someone like you, John, start investing your hard-earned money into a relationship with someone who is already doing this work or is, you know, has doing it well. So that can be finding a consultant. Um, I'll have a course. I talked to you a little bit about this, John. I have a course coming out in October called Lean In Make Bank that you go through it with me and then also a community where you start really tackling these money issues and taking action with a whole team behind you. So I would say start by finding places to give your money with gratitude so that you can start having the idea of like, oh, maybe your clients also are willing to invest in you with gratitude. It's actually a gift to be able to receive someone else's money and to see that they appreciate giving you that money. So start um, um, paying for people to help you with this problem. This has been awesome. I feel like we could talk for days and... I'm probably just going to have to have you on the show again sometime. I think that's, I that's what this means. Yeah. <laughs> it's been my pleasure. And it's very, you're, you are very thoughtful. So it's been fun for me to talk to you too and have you really ask me these questions and dig in deeply to some of these things that I'm saying. Tiffany, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? People can just come to uh, www.heytiffany.com or you can send me an email, tiffany at heytiffany.com. I love to have, you know, back and forth interactions with, with people out in the world, therapists. So definitely hit me up. Tiffany, thanks. Thanks for being here. It's been a lot of fun and uh, I'll see you around the internet. Perfect. I'll see you right. soon. Cheers. Bye, John. All right. As always, I so appreciate you being here today and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this show on iTunes and go ahead and leave us a review while you're at it. 
Um, I also want to thank, again, our sponsor today, Spruce Health. Highly recommend checking them out. And you can get 20% off your first year with them at sprucehealth.com forward slash PPW. That's sprucehealth.com forward slash PPW. All right. I hope you have a great week and I'll see you next time.